listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. What's up, Denver? Chris Lopez here, and today we're going to be talking short-term rentals and Airbnb. Now, most of you know the regulations for Denver County. We will talk about those, plus the other parts around town, actual numbers you can expect from short-term rentals. So my co-host is Lauren Valnoti. Lauren, good afternoon. Hey, thanks so much for having me on this show today. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on here because it's something we've been... Uh, talking about the last few months to start exploring more of so we can you know increase our knowledge and have more resources for more resources to our own clients as well and we have a really good property management company here today that actually specializes in short-term rentals and they are called air simplicity with shalom and jonathan welcome guys glad, glad to have you on the show it's good to be here thank you for having us yeah so tell us let's jump into this uh jump into this so tell us how you guys got started into short-term rentals so I got started, I was uh, doing property management in Dallas, moved to Colorado, got my license, wanted to get into the real estate game, um, investment game, uh, bought a house, primary residence. I was able to do it at you know 5% down minus my commission. I was able to get in with like $10,000, spent another mm -hmm. 10,000 on furniture or so, and quickly realized that I'd make a lot more money doing uh, Airbnb rather than doing long-term rentals. So, and this actually, is while you're living there. This is while I was living there. Okay. Um, I was going away for weekends. Uh, I was kind of just testing out the model uh, before I, I realized pretty quickly that it was it was profitable. Grabbed a backpack, went to Europe. <laughs> it was it was great. Paid for my trip. Uh, realized I was onto something. Uh, did it again about a year exactly a year later, almost to the day. And then about a month later after that, John and I went in on something together. Also, same format primary residence uh, this was in denver before the, the tough regulations uh and then it kind of snowballed from there uh after we had about five or so realized that you know just kept learning had the knowledge uh john and i partnered up and we're like okay we can you know we, we're doing this well for ourselves we can help other people make money with short-term rentals as well so the property management grew organically from you guys building your own portfolio operating them, building the systems in place, and you realize, oh, we probably have a, another business on our hands. We can go out there and help other investors operate their short-term rentals. Exactly. Okay. So, Shalom, you in Dallas, were you doing short-term property management or just traditional property management? Traditional with, uh, so this is 250 units. <clears throat> okay. And I was an assistant manager, so. So you're just doing like an apartment complex? Yeah. Okay. So did many of those skills translate to short-term mm -hmm. rental? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> People skills? Uh, always good to have, I think, in business, but um, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. What's your story, Jonathan? Yeah, so I actually was convinced by Shalom to move to Denver six years ago. Uh, we purchased these houses five years ago or so, but uh, part of his uh, sale to me was, hey, we're, we're going to start a business one day. I'm going to get this done. And when I saw him purchase his first house, I was like, I got to get in on this as well. So, um, while I purchased that first house with Shalom, I was actually working at the University of Colorado Cancer Center, and I've translated a lot of my skills, uh, the detailed skills of getting cancer patients on clinical trials to all the skills that I use in, in Air Simplicity, our company, uh, whether it's all the bookkeeping, a lot of the uh, crisis management, things that occur during crazy Airbnb stays, and just uh, managing the people in the, in the business. So luckily, my skills have translated as well. Great. And then you guys started investing five or six years ago. When did Air Simplicity become a business? It was in 2018. We incorporated. Okay. So yeah. about three years ago, right? Three and a half. Okay. Three, three, like three, three and a half yeah. years ago. Okay. Yeah, but we really started operating in 2019 was the end of 2018. We got a couple of uh, properties. Yeah. 2019. Yeah. Okay. Really and so let's start off with just, I mean, define a short-term rental for us. Like what is the textbook definition of a short-term rental? 30 days or less. And that's, there's no, you know, I don't think Merriam-Webster's uh, defines it, but according to most counties and municipalities, it's 30 days or less. Okay. Yeah. And now let's talk about the regulations because I mean, I think everyone in, is familiar with Denver that has to be a primary residence, but elaborate on that and talk about other parts of Denver mentioned. Like this gives us the rundown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. So 
in Denver, we, we know the laws. You got to live there. You got to be in the house, basically. Um, there's ways of getting around it if you live in an ADU. But generally, if you're not living there, you really can't do it in Denver. There are areas around, such as Lakewood, uh, Aurora, um, that pretty much have the same laws. And that's pretty prohibitive. Uh, Wheat Ridge recently opened up. So if you have a house in Wheat Ridge, you can, up, ma- you can manage up to one Airbnb totally legal. There's no limitation on dates. Uh, you can have it running as a short-term rental, Airbnb, whatever you want to call it, all year. Um, other areas around, uh, such as Adams County, near Denver, um, currently don't have any r- restrictions at all. So in that regard, there are pockets around where you could do it as long as we always say to be a good neighbor. Because once people start buying up properties and turning them into Airbnbs, if the neighbors get upset, the laws quickly change. So we always encourage that. Um, uh, Yeah. yeah. And I'll add that by this, it's 2021, most cities have figured out some type of structure, some type of regulations. There are some that haven't, um, that could work both in your favor and against you. Um, So, you know, I guess the next few years, we'll see some of these other cities kind of figure out what they want to do. Like Wheat Ridge, for example, just a couple months ago, created uh, their regulations. And so should investors be concerned about like, you know, hey, I buy a place in, in Wheat Ridge, for example, mm-hmm. where they, they're allowed. Should investors be concerned that they may change their laws like Denver did? Because I know a lot of people, they're doing very well with Airbnb and Denver changed regulations. They're like, oh, I got to pivot or sell some properties. So, so the, how much yeah. of the consideration is that? So this actually happened in Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs pretty much totally opened up and within five or six months, they tighten the their regulations a bit. You can still get a short-term rental license, license down there. But yeah, I mean, I always say uh, regulations are really the enemy of short-term rentals. So um, it doesn't seem likely to me that some a place like Wheat Ridge would change the law that quickly. They're charging a 10% tax on top of all the, all the revenue that's coming in. A lot of money is going to be coming into the municipality. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're incentivized also to keep this going in a way that keeps people happy in the neighborhoods. Um, yeah. Do you think that where Denver County is today, that it would be restricted even more? Or are we kind of at the baseline and it could only maybe progress and open up a little bit more? Okay. Yeah. So there was a push for the 183.5. I think that's half of a year or something that, mm-hmm. that there was, a res- they were going to try to make that the absolute limit on how many days would be allowed. Uh, Mile High hosts and a few other advocacy groups pushed forward really hard to uh, do our best to, to, you know, totally squash that, which worked. And, you know, post COVID, I'm sure the municipality and the city probably needs the revenue. So who really knows, but uh, mm-hmm. hopefully it doesn't. I, I personally hope it doesn't change mm-hmm. for more and, restriction. Yeah. Mile High hosts and uh, shout out to them, by the way, they're big advocacy, the, the biggest advocacy group here in Colorado. You can find them uh, on certainly on Facebook, uh, but they're pushing for um, a an investment uh, property that everyone can have aside from your primary residence. So I don't think we're going to get there anytime soon, uh, but hopefully in the near future uh, we can we can get there. So it sounds like you guys, I mean, you're obviously a lot more plugged in than Laura and I are in terms of just, you know, the advocacy groups and potential bills on the horizon. You guys aren't too concerned about local municipalities getting more restrictive on short-term rentals. I think, like, so I think Thornton, if it was Thornton or Westminster, one of them is going, I spoke to one of their, um, one of the people that work in their city council and, you know, they're saying that they would consider adopting some just some uh just some licensing procedures but it seems like it's not a restriction it's just we need need to get a license you need to follow a few codes and uh, just just a couple restrictions but not uh you know nothing crazy nothing like totally banned like in boulder it's pretty much banned um for anything less than is it less than 30 days in boulder i don't don't remember exactly but it's pretty tight out there so Mm -hmm. you know yeah, I think before anyone invests, you should definitely do a deep dive into where the city stands. Yep. Um, maybe go to the the city council. I've met with a couple of the zoning guys there, just to feel it out. Um, yeah, definitely highly recommended. Okay. Now, because you know myself included, a lot of our listeners are very familiar and active 
landlords, like traditional long-term landlords, they, they got multiple properties, they got long-term tenants in there. Let's start talking about how these properties operate from traditional long-term rentals, both from a management perspective, an operating expense perspective, profit, like everything. So I'm not sure where to start with that question, but that's like the biggest thing that I want to know and all our listeners do as well. So if I'm coming to you as a new client saying, hey, I want to go out there, buy a, buy a place for a short-term rental, where do you start that conversation with me? Uh, yeah, definitely a big question. Um, it's uh, it's a different ballgame. It's very, there's not that much in common. Uh, it's a lot more profitable, but it's a lot more work as well. And that's been, I mean, one of the things I've looked at, because, you know, the, the cash flows is one perspective of real estate. And then one of the four ways you make money in real estate is a lot of times when I've looked at numbers of the clients, um, you know, after they've done it for a while, a lot of times like, yeah, you know, I'm making extra money, but all the extra time putting into it, it's not worth my time making extra 12 bucks or 20 bucks an hour. So basically the juice isn't worth the squeeze. So can you walk me through like the numbers on a property and just kind of the general stuff to, to consider when we're looking at buying short-term rentals? Um, yeah, where, where can we start on that? Just what the difference would be? Yeah, I mean, what would you say, Lauren? as far as a starting point, because I'm looking at this and I know, I know if I'm articulating my question well, it's just like, hey, we got clients who want to go out there and buy properties. They want right. to make appreciation, you know, take yeah. the tax write-offs, but also make better cash flow. So when a client's looking at this, how do you help determine if doing the short-term rentals right from, from a, a time perspective, the extra money up front to furnish the place and just operating expenses, all that stuff? Like, I don't even know where to start with that. Shalom, mm-hmm. I think a good place to start would be how you... Um, how you do a perspective, just cash flow analysis, sure, uh, with with prospective clients. Yeah, and yeah, I agree that that would be a good starting point. It's hard to quantify how much more work it's going to be. I mean, we can get into some of the operational aspects of it. Uh, so the the first thing I would do is I would go to AirDNA. I would see what they are projecting for this property. Um, I would compare that to what it would make as a long term rental. Obviously, if it's not at least a couple hundred bucks more, it's not even not even worth considering. Uh, caveat AirDNA, while it is probably the best software out there, uh, we found it to be pretty inaccurate, unfortunately. Um, but that would be a good starting point. And then just going through, obviously you have to consider the regulations, you know, do they have, and then yeah, the, the nitty gritty, do they have cleaners in place? How do they plan on operating it and all these things? And so let's say we go out there buy a property i mean let's actually we'll kind of do a snare put you guys on your on your toes here you've got a couple new build townhomes under contract in nevada lauren you know five hundred six thousand dollars price point give us a quick rundown one of those i know some clients are looking to do short-term rentals both as house acts or just straight investments since nevada does have favorable laws what's a rundown on a property like that that i'm gonna put you guys on the spot and try to get your opinion on those Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't have the exact numbers. I should have looked at that before uh, coming on the show today. But one of our clients that's already doing the short-term rental in Arvada, uh, he's a house hacker. Uh, the property, they were able to retrofit the property to where it was a private entrance. It was downstairs, a one bedroom, one bathroom, pretty good sized room to where he could build out a kitchenette. Um, his long-term plan that's a two-car tandem garage was also to put a wall up in there and expand the area, uh, taking away one of the parking spots. Uh, but the first steps that we did is we used the software, uh, Air DNA, and we're able to, and that what that software does, it, it gets local comps, right? It shows your competition in the area, what the the nightly rate is going to be, and it does a calculation on what the occupancy is. Um, can it also break out the the monthly rates as well? So you're able to see uh, when the premium months are as well. It does. Um, and so, and, and whenever Shalom was talking about error DNA not being accurate, it actually under-reports the amount of revenue that we think that the property is actually going to make, which is good because, you know, we, how we do our underwriting, we do everything on a very conservative level as well. So, Hey, you know, worst case scenario, you're going to make more, more money in the end of it. Right. It's not a bad problem to have. Um, and so it was a no brainer for our client, you know, for, for their lifestyle, for what they were trying to do. Like he wanted to utilize his asset to quickly generate more income to where then he can go and quickly go buy property number number two. Um, 
you know, and it, and it wasn't getting a long-term tenant in there. So if they had family coming in town, they still would be able to use it if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. They can kind of turn it off and on whenever they want. So that first initial investment for them was very low as well, because it was just a one bedroom, one bathroom. So the furniture cost for that, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't like a $10,000 initial investment. But the location was uh, primarily why this Airbnb is going to do so well for them. Uh, it's walkable to Old Town Arvada. Oh, nice. Um, and it's a brand new build. So I think we've chatted about this before is that if you're, you know, a regular rental, um, you know, the finishes and the updates that you're going to do for it, you know, it just needs to be good enough. But you guys were saying though, on an air, uh, for Airbnb, when you go to market the property, you really do need to kind of take that next level of your finishes. Cause again, you know, it's your competitions there and you want to make sure that your property kind of stands out to the other ones. So it was a brand new build, had all the bells and whistles that you already wanted. The location was great. Um, and so they, they for surely new is the great um, opportunity for them as well. And then they can Airbnb it whenever they move out of the property as well. Mm-hmm. And they would Airbnb the entire unit? They that th- That's a part of one of their strategies because mm-hmm. again, with Arvada, since now the rules there, they do allow you to own up to three short-term rental properties there. Correct. Um, I think there is a, a limit to how many days it can be occupied. But, you know, we chatted before the show, just some good strategies of how to maximize that asset to ensure you're staying underneath the amount of days, but also still getting the potential income that you were looking at. And the garage expansion, uh, was would that be a second bedroom in the, the basement uh, think, unit or this downstairs unit? I think for what he was wanting to do is more like a living space, like living room. But um, cool. I think that having a conversation with you guys of doing the analysis, like what would make more sense? Because again, the location most likely these people that are going to be renting in this area, you know, they're going to be going out to eat, hanging out with friends, mm-hmm. not necessarily needing a space to cook and do all that. So it might mm-hmm. make more sense if we look at the property with them, you'll get a better return just creating a secondary bedroom. So that would be a good kind of case study to look at for them. What was the makeup of the other of the other unit? How many bed bath? on the so um downstairs was the one one and then upstairs is a it's a two two upstairs so master bedroom with the ensuite and then the other bedroom was good size uh bedroom with the ensuite uh bathroom and then there was a half bath on the second floor mm-hmm. but beautiful finishes yeah fan is beautiful product that makes a big difference for sure uh we found that normally going bigger combining the units is generally going to be more profitable a lot of people think, you know, like with long-term rentals, if you can split it up into two units, it's usually more profitable that way with long-term rentals, but short-term, I mean, we even have a couple of duplexes where we offer both the units together. Um, and these things bring in so much money. Uh, and I think the reason is because it's so niche when you're offering, when you're five, six, seven, eight bedrooms, there's just not a lot of product out there. So you can mm-hmm. charge a premium. Hmm. So bigger properties generally are more profitable in short-term rentals. Mm-hmm. So just that's just, I mean, the more beds, the baths, the better. That's the, is that the punchline? Yep. And the finishes that we were talking about, because, you know, if you get a great profe- professional photography and you're competing with all these other properties that are also fantastic. So you really just want to stand out. Yeah. What about the other like bells and whistles? Um, that can come with the property to help you stand out like the hot tubs. accommodations. Yeah. Is that something that you can kind of say, Hey, let's invest $4,000 in a hot tub. There's no other homes with a hot tub. We can show you a pro forma of how quickly you'll be able to make that investment back and also profit. Uh, we can't, I mean, yeah, every little thing that you can do is going to be helpful, but mm-hmm. I don't think we'd be able to isolate and say, Hey, a hot tub is going to cost you X amount mm-hmm. and you'll get this return in X amount of days. Or I mean, okay. it'd be very difficult to do that because everything else would yep. need to be the same, but mm-hmm. you know, everything that you can add to stand out and make yourself unique, it goes a long way. Great. All right. So let's say for example's sake, we're taking this three bedroom, three bathroom place in Nevada, a new built townhome. Uh, what does it take to get it up and running for an Airbnb? Um, to get it up and running, it needs to be nicely furnished. Um, not just thoughtfully and with, you know, designed well, but also practical, right? And it's, we've learned these things over the course of the last, you know, whole bunch of years. Um, small things like having a USB outlet in the lamp next to the bed or, um, 
making sure you have a colander in the kitchen. I mean, we're stocking the kitchen with 50 plus items, every single kitchen, you know, you want to be able to cook a full meal in that place. Maybe not Mm -hmm. in the Servada home Mm -hmm. per se, but if a family is coming in for a graduation, they want to be able to go to the store and, you know, not spend tons of money on food and make Mm -hmm. that meal in the house. Um, Yeah. You're so what's the average cost just, I mean, furnish it from, you know, furniture and TVs and kitchen and toilet paper and trash bags. Like what's kind of the initial upfront cost? I think the formula we came up with was 6,000, give or take 6,000 for a one bedroom with an additional 3,000 per bedroom. So most of our properties are between four and six bedroom and will cost between 14 and 18,000. Okay. And that should get you kind of in for everything. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of operating expenses, obviously, like, you know, the owner still has to pay their mortgage. Mm-hmm. They're paying taxes. That doesn't change whether it's short-term or long-term rental. But then things like insurance. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming there's a different insurance policy for short-term rentals, right? Or does it depend on your carrier? A little bit. There are other short-term rental plans, but a lot of, like, farmers, for example, or um, travelers... travelers. You can pay for like a, a rider on there that they they acknowledge that it's a short term rental and it's maybe a couple hundred dollars more a year. It's not that it's not that bad, at least for the houses that that we've insured. Um, so we can assume a couple hundred dollars more expensive for insurance policies, a rough rule of thumb. Yeah, okay. I would say maximum a thousand if it's like a really nice house, maybe. But yeah. uh, and there there are more boutique, yeah, uh, short term rental like per day, like uh, like it, let's say you only rent it out you know, a month, a year. So you don't want to have a plan for the entire year. You just want to have it for those specific dates. So that is possible as well. Okay. Yep. And then what about the other operating expenses? I mean, we talked about the, the upfront, we mm-hmm. talked about insurance. I know I'm missing a ton of yeah. stuff off. They're like, utilities. What? Yeah. Okay. Utilities. <laughs> yep. So electricity, uh, that's n- normally a long-term tenant pays for that water, um, trash removal. If you're in a more unincorporated area or, uh, smaller town um internet internet tv if you decide to get it we we use like a satellite um uh what are they called the the, the not not rabbit ears but you can pick up a lot of channels for free and our units <laughs> do that and people are happy with that and most people are streaming, streaming anyway anyways, yeah. yeah so um so just put a roku on there yeah. or something or just a smart tv that has it uh you know wi-fi built in it has youtube in it has netflix um that's a huge plus we have that in every single one of our houses um what other operating expenses are there? Oh, cleaning fees. Right. That's huge. Right. So the cleaning, the cleaning fees. So every single reservation, we charge a cleaning fee on top. So let's say the, the rental, the, um, the nightly rate is a thousand dollars and there's a hundred dollar cleaning fee. That cleaning fee, uh, doesn't go to the, well, in our company doesn't go to the owner, but it goes straight to our, our cleaning team. Mm-hmm. But if you're managing the Airbnb yourself, then you can, you can, you know, take that cleaning fee money and, you know, if you're going to clean it yourself, you're basically paying yourself for cleaning the house. Mm-hmm. So um, actually the renter, the short-term renter is actually paying for the cleaning fees. So correct. technically it's not really a, a expense for the owner. Technically, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. What about taxes? Because we have the regular property taxes, but I know a lot of mm-hmm. questions will come up around the short term. There's an additional tax and I guess maybe every city might be different or is it just the same across the board? It's definitely different uh, in different okay. cities. So in, in Wheat Ridge, they just enacted uh, their short-term rental laws, and apparently they're taking 10% on top. So if you make $10,000, you have to you have to uh, give $1,000 of that to Wheat Ridge, from my understanding. And Is there an, another more. tax as well that's already being taken out it from Airbnb? In the, in the transaction. Like right. If you mm. look at the breakdown of the transaction, right. you'll see some taxes. I don't know exactly which taxes they are, but we don't even get that money. We don't have to pay it. Right. It's, yeah, I thought it goes straight um, from the platform to the the platform pays it. Okay. Yeah. And that's like the I think that might be like a host the hospitality mm-hmm. tax. Mm-hmm. But yeah. again, that's being passed down to the consumer. So it's already being taken out and Correct. it's already being paid for by the renter in mm-hmm. a sense. So in a sense, it's not really an expense right. for, the, for the property owner. But Wheat Ridge is taking an additional, it's sounding like. That's my understanding. Okay. Yeah, that's that's okay. correct. Yeah. Oh, okay. Denver too. Denver's 10.75. Okay. But Denver collects it on the front end, so it doesn't actually affect the the property owner. But Wheat Ridge, okay. it sounds like, probably is on top of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it does vary per municipality. Like, so I have a question on the yeah. Air DNA reports. That number that you're seeing is that after the taxes have been taken out. 
Probably. I think so. Okay. Yeah. So I good think question. So too. I, I know it includes the cleaning fees. Okay. Uh, yeah. We we asked them about that. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah and uh, more of just operational expenses. Um, when you're running a, a long-term rental, obviously you have to keep the house in in good running order. But with when you're running a hotel, basically, the house has to be in great shape all the time. You, someone walks in, and there's a you know a uh, cabinet door hanging off, like that doesn't look good. You got to get that yeah. fixed immediately. So those kind of things, the the urgency uh, of getting that fixed, you know, you just got to make sure you have a good maintenance team, and that those it's hard to say per property how much that is per month, but at least around a hundred dollars a month goes to maintenance on average. Mm-hmm. So, and that's actually, that's not replacing consumables. That's actually just, just fixing property. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Consumables yeah. also around, uh, between, uh, it depends how big the house is, how many people are staying there, how much toilet paper is used, uh, shampoo, all these things, uh, soap, um, about a hundred dollars a month as well. We've found. Okay. So, and then in terms of, you know, let's start talking income here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we all know Airbnb based on supply and demand and weekend or time of year, the price does change the Airbnb. So how can people best determine rental income? And I actually would like to kind of walk through some general numbers on, hey, great, we got rental income. What's the average, you know, profit or cash looking like on short terms compared to some long-term stuff? I wish I could give you a good answer, <laughs> but it's it's really tough. And I don't think there's a good general answer that can be given, um, especially with AirDNA not being as accurate as we'd like. Um, but generally, it's, yeah, I mean, we know that it's significantly more profitable um, than long terms. Um, we and can go through some. And specifics. also, location really matters. Like, if you find a way to have a five bedroom, five bath in downtown Denver through some some means, I mean, that's going to be significantly more than a five bedroom, five bath in Centennial or something. So mm-hmm. it really depends on where we're talking about. And so it's making sure you're trying to find the points of interest, you know, mm-hmm. music venues, stadiums. Mm-hmm. I even think hospitals, you know, would also be a point of interest if anyone's needing like longer term care, specialized medical care. Absolutely. They're going to be there for a long period of time. Um, so just, I guess, really just trying to focus on points of, of, in, of interest mm-hmm. to ensure that you're going to have the most ocup- occupancy rate. Yeah. And there's a lot of operational things in there too. I mean, obviously getting good reviews, good ratings, that's key. Um, you know, just good, good management. I think in general, mm-hmm. good pricing optimization, those things like that all come together to make a really big difference. Yeah. And I know, I know you guys want numbers and I'm thinking in my head, like we have a, a three bedroom, two bath in, in the Highlands area. And yeah. It, last month, it brought in probably gross. I'd say six thousand, maybe maybe six, maybe seven. Actually, if you include the cleaning fees, if and that owner doesn't clean it himself, but if he did, that'd be another thousand dollars there. But at the same time, a five three in Centennial brought in the exact same amount. So it really depends on where we're talking about, and uh, mm-hmm. so that makes mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, what? What's the average cash flow or pick a property, walk me through, like, just, we got the ideas and expenses, give us some, some high levels on there. Like cleaning's obviously a big part of the operational expense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard 15 to 25%. Is that the ballpark for cleaning? For cleaning, cleaning fees are 20%, almost 20%. Yeah, that's almost okay. exactly average. Yeah. What about property management fees? Because I mean, this is one thing, this is, you know, it's a hospitality business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot more labor intensive, either the owner or you guys are right. doing it, what's the property management fee like? Uh, property management fees will run you from 10, anywhere from 10% uh, to 45%. That's like in Summit County. Yeah, it's they'll, quite they'll take, the range there. It's quite a range. We're 20 to 25%, uh, you know, so it just depends on where you are, but that's, uh, I'd say that's industry average. Why is it matter where you are? I mean, why do you say that? Um, like in Summit County, I think they can, uh, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure actually. Why it would be so much more to add. So let's say, um, you know, you have an interesting property somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Um, we're definitely open to helping with management there, but we need to basically have an entire team of people that are willing to ser- or able to service that house at any time. So operationally, just from our, our side, we have to find a cleaner, a plumber, electrician, mm-hmm. maintenance person. Um, we, we just, and we need backups of each. And for us, if it's really just operation, operationally difficult, we're going to charge more for that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think some um, of the like the ten percent management companies are more mostly individuals. I don't think they're doing as much. So they can be co-hosting, so really just helping out with the listing. You know, maybe they're just doing some aspects of the management, but full spectrum. Yeah, it's, you're not going to really get much less than twenty percent. Okay, so if I come to you guys, you guys manage a property for me. Am I? Is it passive? My hands off. Hundred percent. Okay. Mm-hmm. Except we don't pay utilities, mortgages. Anything that's that's, that's with pretty permitting. Much it. We don't do the permitting. We can help out. We help, yeah. But we're not gonna with like, like the short term permitting? Yeah. Okay. Like we'll help the owner figure that out, but we're not gonna like submit it on their behalf and which can be complicated, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, but it's fully hands off. Um monthly payouts, um, sent direct deposit right into bank accounts and um yeah. And the only thing if there's a big renovation that's needed, uh, you know, we'll get we'll just request permission, but otherwise it's hundred percent passive. And so you guys mentioned just how, you know, geographic centric you are with Airbnb, because I've heard, you know, cleaners and handymen are so critical to running Airbnbs being operational. And you have to obviously economies of scale there. Do you guys, are you using like in-house vendors? You just have like great referral partners. Like how do you scale up that way? We use both. Uh, So if we're, you know, we have one property in Jacksonville or near Jacksonville. So Shalom went down there and found a great team. Um, and, but they're, they're all contractors that they don't work for us directly or anything. So 1099 uh, okay. people, but we have, but we need to also not just, uh, you know, assign the cleanings to them. They have to also be in communication with us. So like something's broken, a cleaner finds something's broken. We need to then, you know, send that message over to the team. And, um, just along with that, um, we were talking about just like the operational difficulty. It's like the cleaning, the maintenance, but we're also talking about guests on their vacation. If there's anything wrong, we're there to answer 24 seven and, uh, and to fix that as soon as possible too. So that's, and that's where the reviews come in when the reviews are not great, then Airbnb or the other sites actually, you know, put your listing way farther down on, uh, on the, you know, on the search engines. And, so. and that's really tough. That's certainly one of our biggest challenges, as I assume would be for most people, is just having a team that's available almost 24-7 of people you trust who can get there within some generally a couple of hours. I mean, guests expect mm. these things to be fixed immediately. Um, I'm hiring probably about a person a week, whether, and I'm, I mean, 90% of them just you know don't make it, but it's just meeting just really good people, having a deep roster of people who can do everything across the board. Is really integral. And when you're managing one unit, it's not that bad. Like if you have one investment property or two investment properties, we're talking about, you know, four cleanings a week, five cleanings a week, maybe a maintenance call. But, you know, when you're talking about 30, 30, 40 properties, it's a, it's a lot, you know, mm-hmm. so um, very important to have really reliable people. Most of our cleaners that work with us, um, they are 1099 uh, people and you know, they basically show up when they can do it and they finish it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, between 11 and four. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do our best to optimize, you know, same day, check out, check in. So to get that mm-hmm. revenue. So, okay. So operational expenses are obviously higher. Um, but going back to like, you mentioned like a five bedroom, three bathroom house in Centennial. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for long-term rentals, that's going to be around location, you know, all that 23 to $2,900 a month, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little higher now, but you know, $2,500 or $3,000 a month rent. What's that look like from a short-term rental standpoint? Like if you guys remain that, you know, over the year, kind of removing COVID and that craziness the last year, what type of numbers can a person expect from a property like that? We could break it down because it was cut. about 70,000, 70 to 80,000 annually. Mm-hmm. And then it's generally about a third to remove for management and cleaning. Um, so, so 78,000 in Se- gross 70, 75. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Call 75. I think it was more than that. Right. 50. Um, yeah. I guess we're, we're kind of just averaging here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like 50 and then what else is left? I mean, the small stuff, maintenance utilities. Yeah. That's like um, three, 3% or something. I remember that. I don't know. I, I always try to figure out a formula for that. It's, it it's changes so it's much. Um, what would you say? A thousand dollars a month max? For maintenance, I mean, probably less than that. Not a thousand. So forty. No. So we're looking at like forty thousand, probably forty-five. What do you think? I yeah. mean, just that alone. I mean, that's 
It's a lot of money. That's a really good yeah. number. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think on our long-term rentals, you know, our, our clients are, can be happy with just breaking even mm-hmm. or seeing 2000, you know, our house hackers that are going the extra mile and doing a room by room, you know, they're able to kind of see those kind of numbers. Um, mm-hmm. Well, not, not even that, but. <laughs> and this is actually, this house that we're thinking about is, what was it built in like the fifties? I mean, it was definitely remodeled, but it's nothing extravagant by any means. And if it was, it would be making a lot more than that. Yeah, we're seeing numbers that are much higher, like Vrain, the, the property that we own together. Our, was our second year we did 120K gross? Yeah. So I mean, subtract. 4,000 a month in operation operational expense, maybe 4,500. Right. So how, many, how many rooms is that one? Five, three. Okay. Yeah. In what area of town? That was in Denver. West Denver. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Barnum. Barnum. You know, Barnum. not, yeah, not like Cap Hill or anything. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, just so nice you're house. pulling 120, so ten thousand dollars a month in gross revenue. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know now we're 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 learning. We're still learning about what makes you know how to get those those kinds of numbers. Um, and yeah, we're you know we're figuring that out. Like the cabins. So I just bought a couple of cabins. It's four cabins up in the mountains, and it's doing now. I paid five hundred thousand for it. Uh, put in about seventy five, eighty thousand of, of renovations, and it's bringing in it's like fifteen, twenty thousand. Uh, certainly, some of the summer months will be twenty. Yeah, and then it'll probably oh, it'll be average. More than 20. It'll be more than twenty. It'll be more than yeah, twenty. It'll be thirty. Wow, maybe, yeah. yeah. It's, so it's yeah. If you're if you're pointed about it, you're strategic. I think you mm-hmm. can do really well. So kind of stepping back to that Barnum house, you were able to make that when that was technically whenever the rules were allowing it. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of talk about you know. For someone that owned a home in Barnum, it was their primary. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a lot of travel or maybe they had like a downstairs basement where they could lock off, live down there and like Airbnb the top. What could be a strategy for that homeowner whenever they move out of that house and they go by their next primary being located in Denver County? What would be a way to, what's a loophole to be able to still maybe not do long term, but... Yeah. There, oh man, with Denver, I've yes. I've tried, I've tried everything. I really have gotten, I've gotten fined so many times, and it was worth it. <laughs> um, but what but, if you do thirty-one day stays and do the medium term? Maybe that might work. During COVID, we we did that because people, families were working remote. They mm-hmm. need a place to stay for three months, and uh, it worked out during COVID. Um, I think, I mean, it would probably probably be more profitable than than a long term rental. Yeah. Any, any numbers in mind? How, how much would, you know what? That was bringing in, I'd say 5,500 a month or so. Uh, our property in Barnum was bringing 5,500 a month. So for medium term. Yes. So th- 31 plus days stays. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, I think it was about when I did the math and this was all during COVID. So I think our data is mm-hmm. a little bit skewed, but it was, yeah. we were making about 30 to 40% on top of what the regular long-term rental rates are going for. We were providing hundred percent furnished houses as well. Uh, again, that's COVID, so everyone, you know, but midterm stays and you know, these type of stuff, just 31 days plus are becoming more typical. Even Airbnb is, has a product that's catering uh, more to longer term or midterm stays. So I think it's becoming yeah, more accepted, more known. And so, I mean, all this sounds really good. Obviously, it sounds like I can make more money, be, you know, less or be hands off with working with, you know, like you guys, but what are some like key points for investors to keep on? Cause you guys know in short term, you know, long-term rentals, like if someone's out there evaluating this, like what are questions you would ask them or have the person ask themselves like, Hey, should I invest in short term or should I invest in long term? Or maybe it doesn't matter. Mm. Like, what are some good things? I think about this myself. Like, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm upper thirties now. I've got two little kids. I'm very, very busy with family. I'm very, very busy with with Envision Advisors. I don't sleep as much. I'm like, cool, anything that's more work for right now, I just, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm at that point in my my, fate, my life, I see you guys, hey, great, there's more cash flow. But what type of questions from like me should I be asking myself to help determine if short-term rentals are right? What do you think? How involved do you want to be in in the process sounds like not much let's just say i mean basically what i have with my property managers now Mm -hmm. i say unless like there's something drastic like the place is burning down it's over a thousand dollars don't call me like just use your judgment get it done like i 15 minutes or less a month 
we'd love to work with you. (laughs) That's like, we love working with people that are, um, understand that, you know, there's going to be a little bit of upfront costs, you know, some costs per month here and there. But if, if, uh, you know, the investor has that mindset of like, you know what, in the long run, this is really going to make a lot of money over time. If someone's willing to let go and like, accept that, that's, um, that's very helpful. And I think, so your, your question is what, what should we ask people or what should, what should you guys be asking? Yeah, like us? we got, we got people since yeah. podcast are like, wow, that sounds intriguing. Every mm-hmm. real estate investor has thought about short-term rentals. Mm-hmm. Every single one of us has. Like, are there any questions they should be asking themselves while they're considering it? Or am I overthinking that? I think a couple of things to consider. I think it is a little bit more risky. That's that's for sure. Once it's operating, I mean, listen, if it's someone else is managing it, it's about the same. Like, it's generally just not your headache. Uh, so I would say there's not much of a difference there. Probably the biggest thing to take into consideration is furnishing costs, right? I mean, upfront, we're talking about ten dollars to $20,000 on top of everything, top of the you know, house costs, closing costs, uh, any renovation costs that are needed. I'd say that's that's the big one. But other than that... Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, Jonathan, to, to be more blunt in your answer, it sounds like you're saying if people uh, stay their way and lie to do your job, that's your preference and you guys operate better because that's i'm all about like i mean that's what we try to do with our clients here you know laura and i as we work with clients just like hey we know what we do tell us what you want we'll go out there and do it mm-hmm. and we just get it done and that's usually what we like from our partners and members. well hey just like i'm not an expert i don't do this crap 50 hours a week you guys do just mm-hmm. take care of it and send me the money in the mm-hmm. month like that's what i'm concerned about that's what i like so it sounds like you i mean you guys are good with being very hands-on and having pretty passive investors as long as they they know the risks they know the numbers they've got the vision they got communication and they write a few checks to get up and running is that a fair summary mm-hmm. i think so i'd say so i guess the other question is like is this a property that the person already owns you know do they need to throw 20 percent down for an investment property you know that can turn into a lot of money in today's market so if they already own that house like the the your friends and or clients in arvada it could be very lucrative. Right. Absolutely. I do think that like one question that every investor needs to ask themselves when they're going when they're thinking about going into short-term renting is going to be the things that we cannot control, but obviously will affect us long-term. So always, I think it makes sense to look at a plan B mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Like if the restrictions yes. do change, what would plan B look like? And am I okay with maybe a negative cash flow? To be able to just hold the property, maybe paying hundred bucks a month to keep the property afloat for the appreciation pop, um, and also to you know push comes to shove, if those restrictions change, you know what's the reality of me being able to sell it mm-hmm. to be able to get off my like books? Um, but I think because it's so many things that we just can't control, um, being able to look at it from from both perspectives and feeling okay with the what the numbers of the the plan B is going to actually be. Yeah, I think that's very important to take into consideration. Plan A, short-term rentals. Plan B, furnished mid-term rentals. Plan C, regular long-term rentals. Plan D, you sell it. So I think all those things need to be taken into consideration before Mm -hmm. one would invest. And how would you quantify the risk in short-term rentals? Because you said a few minutes ago, Shalom, that short-terms are riskier. But how would you, how would someone like us quantify that? How would an investor quantify that? Like how riskier is it? I think it depends on where. Okay. If it's in a city or like a municipality that's already been regulated, I'd say it's less risky, but I can't think of any way to quantify it realistically and accurately. Okay. Could call up your local um, city commissioners or people that would be involved in zoning, see how, could see how they're feeling about or how, what kind of complaints they're getting. And they sometimes say some things, what's coming up, you know, and I think, that's a good way of at least getting a pulse as to how this, because they're in charge of these regulations. So might as well call them and see, you know, what they're thinking. And so you're saying the risk is more about if the municipality changes the rules, like, hey, great, Lauren, you can Airbnb your place. Oh, Lauren, now you can't. Like, that's the biggest risk. It's just the laws change like the Springs did last year or Denver did three years ago, right? Uh, Well, probably the biggest risk is something like what happened in March of last year, just COVID happening. And yeah, yeah. we... Black we, Swan. Yeah, <laughs> we freaked yeah. out. And to me, I'm actually kind of happy in retrospect because I just can't think of anything worse 
um, all of my short-term rentals, I went to, to midterm or long-term. Uh, I, I did it quickly. I was fine. Uh, but to me, that that's that's the absolute worst thing that could happen. I don't know what else would be worse than that. There's people not traveling. Fair point. And yeah, in the wor- in that worst case scenario, which occurred, uh, we did some. We had to cut some deals really fast through Airbnb. They were pretty much breaking even. I don't think any of our owners actually lost money during the craziest time. Like this first, like March, April of last year, like this first couple of months. Yeah, and even even during the summer, because some people booked for six months, like we just have to stay put. We're, you know, we got to mm-hmm. be here. And we were like, we don't know how long this is going for. So we let them book for that long. And it, it did work out. And um, I mean, just the rates now are so high that let's say the laws do change. I would foresee um, better cash flow in a midterm rental than than a long term as a as a backup plan. I feel like one more question, you know, we, we keep, I think everybody is as kind of stamped, you know, Airbnb and B as the short-term rental term, you know, but there are so many other mm-hmm. channels to advertise and platforms to put your short-term rental on mm-hmm. out of, you know, I think it's VRBO, Airbnb. Home, um, away. Home away is the same thing okay. as VRBO. Okay, perfect. So yeah, yeah, of all of those, to say those big three platforms, which one do you think is most beneficial for the operator or is it putting all three, you know, putting your property on, on all three? Um, Airbnb. Well, it depends on where you are. We're, I think we're just talking about America right now. Yeah. Um, Airbnb by far in urban areas. Once you go outside urban areas, if you're in the mountains, Verbo has a lot more market share out there. Everyone else, um, is just really quite a small player. You also have to, uh, also direct bookings. That's also important. Like mm-hmm. if you can cut out the middleman, mm-hmm. um, that's that's great too. So that's something mm-hmm. we're working on now. Um, and that'd be through like your own website? Yeah, Correct. just through okay. direct bookings. We can get return guests who can just cut out. Generally, it's about a 15% cut that these guys are taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also if you're going to, if you're going to include, you know, let's say booking.com, TripAdvisor, those are some of the, the smaller players. It gets really complex because then you, you need a property management system that ensures that you're not double booking Right. And if you have, Mm -hmm. let's say, different softwares like cleaning softwares or pricing softwares, you need to make sure that everything's uniform and it's uh, it gets quite complicated. (laughs) If you have one property and you're in an urban area, just I would say stay on Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe with HomeAway or VRBO, same company, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's about it. Uh, And is there any sort of like fee that's different between the three platforms? Yeah. HomeAway. well, since we're a property manager, they charge us 5% for every booking. Okay. They charge that to us. They also mm-hmm. charge the guest another 10 or 12%. So mm-hmm. it's uh, not so different though. Okay. It's not enough to, you know, n- not do the investment or mm-hmm. something like mm-hmm. that. So, okay. so as we kind of wrap this up, guys, like what, what exact service do you offer? Obviously you hand, you offer hands-off uh, short-term property management. Are there other services you offer for coaching, consulting people that want to do it themselves, but need help getting things up. Like what all do you offer at Air Simplicity? Uh, don't have consulting or coaching, but I'm very keen on helping people. I think just developing relationships that way to me is, is very important. So uh, people call me often just asking, Hey, is this property good? What area should we go to? Just a whole bunch of questions. Um, and yeah, we're, we're happy to help with whatever people need. Um, and then from an operational standpoint, yeah, I was going to say, Shalom basically is involved in new client acquisition, helping out people, like directing them into different places. Like if we're not going to manage the property, Shalom will help them find a different manager. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm on the, more on the back end operationally with all the finances, you know, dealing with tons of just just the amount of transactions that we're dealing with a very high, high volume business. Um, you know, if you have one property, that's 10 bookings a month times 30 properties times, you know, everything else that's going on. And um so what do we do? I mean, we, we can turn an empty house into a fully functioning, awesome Airbnb start to finish. Um, you know, depending on how, what kind of shape the house is in, we'll, we'll see if we want to do that, but, um, we're managing all the communication from the guests at all times, um, 24, seven, 365, uh, pricing the units, uh, per demand in the area. So we're definitely aware of, you know, what the pricing is around us. So if, just to be super competitive, uh, not going below the market, obviously. Um, managing the the listings, um, all the cleanings, maintenance, everything you could think of. So that's really what hands off hands off means that the owner is pretty much doing nothing. Um, 
Yeah. And then you on, yeah, on the, on the onboarding, uh, we, we were definitely helpful as well. I mean, I've done some renovations for not myself, but helped, uh, contract out renovations for some clients, um, furnishing, designing, just making sure all those finishing touches are there, getting the photographer and yeah, just making sure that, you know, the place is as, uh, as good as it can be. And, you know, the ranking is as optimized as possible. Um, yeah. And then once that happens, it's, it's uh, smooth sailing. And in general, um, I could talk about our company and most companies, they'll charge a percentage on the booking revenue. So let's say you have a thousand dollar booking and a hundred dollar cleaning fee, the 20 to 25% is charged on that thousand dollar booking revenue, the nightly rate. So we're not charging on the gross amount, just on the actual, um, say that again. Yeah. So we, so let's say you have, um, a a $1,100 booking of that booking $100 is the cleaning fee that gets routed directly to a cleaner. Okay. The $1000 is the the nightly rate that the guest paid. So we'll take 20 to 25% of that $1000 as our management fee. That's what we that's what we charge and that's how how most companies do it as well. Okay. Yeah. Are there any pitfalls people need to look out for for cuz I know like long-term product management. Oh, hey, this management fee looks great, but then maintenance markups are like holy crap, like they kill you with maintenance markups. Like, are there things, like, what should people look for? Like, you know, any pitfalls as you look at- We're, we're generally rentals? we're generally not marking up. Uh, if we would mark up, we would talk to the owner first. If we're gonna manage a massive, um, like if there was a flood and we had to manage that whole project, we're gonna talk to the owner and be like, hey, like we're gonna be spending tons of hours on this. Our team's gonna be put to work here. We need we need to like be paid a little bit extra for that, yeah. that work. Um, which makes sense. I mean, yeah. you're, you're a project manager at that point, not yeah. just, oh, go out there and oh, see whether yeah. the HVAC isn't working. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we're all about transparency. We don't like hidden fees. We want to be upfront. We don't want anyone to be disappointed. Yeah, but things like lawn care, snow removal, these are things that sometimes people get surprised that that's uh, like a fee that we, we paid uh, someone to, you know, uh, shovel the snow and then we're then we charge the owner for that. So people don't always think about those seasonal things. Yeah. Um, the consumables, which we talked about, um, the, uh, what else? Mm-hmm. Cleaning yeah, fees too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. okay. it could seem, it could seem like a lot, but you know, that's, uh, that's all part of it. Great. All right. So what's the best place to, for people to get in touch with you guys? I know your website is airsimplicity.co. Mm-hmm. I should, I think that's, that's correct, Colorado. right? Yeah. 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 Um, so what's the best way for people to hold you, pick your brains, all this stuff? Like how can people learn more about you guys? Um, yeah, probably through, probably through email. Um, shalom at airsimplicity.co. It would be a good place to start and just get a conversation going. Um, and our, yeah. our direct line, 720-778-1053. Um, maybe I said that too fast, but. That was impressive the way you rattled that off. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes, but that, that was impressive. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah. I, yeah, I want to, if I can be helpful to anyone who's trying to assess what the value of a, of a property is, like I mentioned, it can be difficult because AirDNA is not super reliable, but just using our comps and other comps on the market, we do our best to, to get close. Great. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate it. Lauren, thank you. Thank you guys. Thanks yeah, for having us. Great. Really All appreciate right, it. So this has yeah. been Jonathan Sloan with Air Simplicity. If you guys have questions, definitely reach out to them. They've been very helpful and knowledgeable with me and Lauren the last few months. We appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys.